G'day everyone, welcome to Swiss Pats. We are in the beautiful Ettingen with Carlisle Christofferson, singer-songwriter from Australia. Woo woo, I love an Australian <laughs> guest. Welcome Carlisle, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for making the trip out to here. You are welcome, it's lovely out here. It's pretty uh, green, isn't it? Lots yeah. Of, a lot of countryside. You don't have to go very far from Basel to get in the absolute middle of Bogenland. <laughs> this is not Bogenland. No. Yeah, Bas- we're teaching Gary some Aussie words, weren't we? Yeah, we didn't record that previous conversation, <laughs> did we? Okay. But you said it very well. Yeah. But that's not the context out here. Yeah, we're, definitely we're, not. Yeah. There's going to be a lot of people in Ettingen very upset yeah. that we've been called Bogenland. Australians out here. Well, I'm sorry to all uh, Australians in Ettingen. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and not Bogan. So, Carla, we've come out here um, to to hear some of your music and to hear your story about being a expat in Switzerland. You've been yeah. here for almost thirteen years. Yeah, this December I came. Just I, th- I think I left Australia Boxing Day, so that's what I remember. A really hot summer and arrived in snow. Yeah. And that was thirteen. That'll be thirteen years ago this this Christmas. No, as an American, okay, please. Yeah. I, I feel like I've heard different versions of what Boxing Day actually mm. means. So before we get into anything else, oh, we've got to do, we've got to do a, oh. we've got to teach you in, what Boxing Day in, is. In my mind, it's clean up all the boxes that you uh, that you created uh, on Christmas. No, right. But, okay. And that's not it, is it? I mean, it's just another day of drinking, uh, and <laughs> celebrating, and great and, sales. Yeah, good sales. All the shops open up. Me and my sister always went to the movies yeah. on Boxing Day. That was, oh, really? That was what that was our tradition. Well, what's the meaning? What's the meaning? I don't know. Do you know? I've got a take on it, but I don't know if it's you right. You go for your take. Well, I thought it meant that you box, like probably what you said, you're boxing up all the leftover presents and stuff and giving away what you got that was trashy yeah boxing it or repacking it and then offering it to somebody else yeah but i don't i don't know if that's what it meant yeah i just assumed it was like you're boxing away christmas christmas is being boxed up and put away but i if there's a real meaning i don't know for me it was eating more and more time with the family right but i digress (laughs) (laughs) yeah thanks for that gary but we all got a lesson on boxing day none of it was uh none of it was probably let's look it up though there must be a proper definition exactly i bet there is um so you came to switzerland 13 years ago but what did what was your um kind of reason what what was your what what caused you to pack up on especially on boxing day and, and come over i've always said um Someone normally leaves their country for romance or a job, mm. and I had both. So I was going out with a Swiss girl, and we did this long-distance thing at the time. And I was working for an Australian pharmaceutical company that had acquired a company in Bern. So I got moved over with my job and took on an international role based in, in Switzerland and basically didn't go home, sort of changed companies and stayed within that corporate sector of healthcare and, and pharmaceuticals for a few years with different companies. Um, but essentially just didn't go back, just year after year. How easy was it to just stay here? Could you stay? Did you, were you able to get a job pretty easily? Yeah, yeah. well, the first job was sort of secured because it was an internal okay. kind of transfer. But I, I always found it pretty easy. And I think it was probably quite easy because I had a, a partner, my girlfriend at the time was here. So I was kind of coming to somebody that had a base that had friends that I got to meet and had a bit of, you know, it wasn't like just landing and being dumped on your own. So I never found it that difficult, to be honest. Um, you know, Switzerland has lots of challenges for many expats, but 
in terms of um, finding your way around and particularly in my in what was my career in, in pharmaceuticals and medical communications, this is a, the centre of you know a lot of global companies. So there was plenty of work. So that was always was probably the right place for someone like me to be, really. So we kind of skipped over the the love part there. <laughs> the love part. Um, so you said that you were you were seeing somebody and you had a long dif- distance relationship. Is that your yeah. current wife? Sadly, not. She, she'd <laughs> like for me to say yes because that would sort of show this, you know, twenty year old, twenty year long relationship by now. Um, <laughs> twist there. Yeah, <laughs> but love no, a twist I, on Swiss parts. Um, I stayed with the Swiss direction, and my wife is Swiss, but we met later. Okay. So uh, we met uh, at a, a communications agency that I ended up working with um, seven, seven years ago. Awesome. So it's safe to say that you guys have good communication. Yes, we do. We do. <laughs> and we got on well working together. That's always Obviously. important. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. um, so I guess it was kind of fate that you had a Swiss uh, girlfriend that, uh, that you were seeing that, that led you here, right? Right, yeah. And like I said, I really think for many people in our position particularly as we leave countries and and sort of set up somewhere else it makes it easier i guess if you've got a a hub or a a, an anchor which in a relationship in this case because i just didn't find that integration that difficult thankfully so yeah i wouldn't like to kind of come out just alone i think that would be a different different set of challenges People do it though. They do, don't they? They do. Often. Yeah, people are super brave, and they they yeah. they do it. Sometimes they're stupid, like me. <laughs> I was eighteen and went to England and oh, didn't wow. know a single person or 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 have an anchor. Okay. And uh, and I ended up staying, but uh, other people yeah. they do it because they're brave. I just yeah. did it because I was dumb. And, <laughs> and then days before Facebook, I mean, now there's groups that you can join and you right. can meet people very easily. Back then, yeah. I mean, there probably wasn't anything. Uh, well, way back at 13 years ago? Yeah. Way, way back. Anyway. I don't remember meeting many Aussies for ages. I thought I was special for years. Until <laughs> you I, are. Until I, oh, until, not, I'm not so sure about that. But I, I used to think I was quite exotic, the only Australian in Bern. But then years later, you bump into Aussies. I was going to say, now there's a Bern, Aussies in Bern Facebook page. Is so, there? Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, so sorry. hi to all that, yeah. those guys listening. <laughs> Definitely not the only one. Yeah. So um, when you uh, came to Switzerland, you had a Swiss girlfriend. Did oh. you... Um, have a language barrier or did you pick up a language it was was she italian french German um, my girlfriend at the time she was swiss german so mm-hmm. and also had french so and then your wife is from the italian side of yeah of my Switzerland. in speaking of you know languages my wife's just incredible she's typical swiss in yeah. that how talented aspect but she's got four or five languages so having grown up in ticino her mother tongue is italian and french so mm-hmm. bilingual Obviously has great English, um, but her mum's from Madagascar. Wow. So her dad is from St. Gallen, so hardcore Swiss German, and her mum being Madag- Madagasi. So Dominic has uh, a little bit of Madagasi in her language as well. Um, but I think she's got like, four languages. Yeah. Like, How fluent. much Madagasi do you speak? Uh, zero. My <laughs> daughter has learned to uh, speak in up to ten in Madagasi, which is pretty amazing. That is awesome. But she's I, gonna have she's gonna have Aussie. She's gonna have then the English as French, well. Yeah, yeah. She's well at the minute she's counting to ten in. I think English, French, uh, Swiss German or German, and Madagasi. 
So I look like a real moron compared to my family. <laughs> <Down> to five, <laughs> exactly. But they in, can't in English. But they can't play guitar like me. So, yeah, exactly. You know, I've, got, I've got something. Exactly. Yeah, for now, just, right? Just wait a couple of years. I was yeah. gonna say your daughter's only two and a half, right? Right. Give us some time, then maybe can, she'll give you a run for the money. If you turn up, there's a photo on that wall there. I'm just pointing to the studio. I can see That's it. Nice. So that was yeah. her singing to me. Which was pretty cute. That was a, only a couple of months ago. So I think she's in, she's interested she's in music. She's got the year. So you're relying on her for lyrics now. Oh, at least great BVs. She'd be a great backing vocalist, mm-hmm. I think. So, yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned for that one. Again, you for got now, yeah exactly. You got to yeah. get the melodica for her. There you go. Yeah, yeah she exactly. Can be, uh, that's 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 one way to get uh, get your kids involved. Get okay. The melodica. Like, oh, cool. I can tell you that because my daughter plays a melodica and she loves it. Okay, well, I it's, don't. Know. What is a melodica? It is the keyboard thing with the you blow through it. Ah. Yeah. Okay. Instead yeah. Of Jimmy Fallon, uh, the roots instead of that. instead ah. of a recorder, you got to when when your daughter goes to school, you got to yeah. you got to fight so you blow for the, into the keyboard, the mod- melodica instead of the recorder because it sounds better. Interesting. The the recorder is an awful awful. Yeah. Sound. Okay. So this is like the groovy version. Of yes. That. Okay. Yes. Right. Exactly. So you might remember when we first met at the um, Red Cross Bushfire Appeal, mm-hmm. um, Greg Arnold performed that night. So Greg's my producer. He actually, I think, has a melodica on a couple of his yep. uh, band's tracks. Mm-hmm. He's, he's quite handy with a melodica and go. guitar at the same time, which is pretty cool. That is pretty talented. Don't ask me how he does it, but <laughs> I've seen him pull out both instruments before. Now Carlisle's thinking, I've got to have a melodica on the next song. Exactly, exactly. Got to get in with I that. I think I'll stick to harmonica. <laughs> well, we, we did meet at the um, a benefit mm. uh, charity event. Um, let's talk about that for a minute because yeah. that might be a distant memory for a lot of people. What mm. we were, what what you did that for? So ago. yeah, and it really it was still twenty twenty. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's so not actually that long ago, but it's a it's it almost is like a whisper in the wind. Yeah. Tell us about what uh, what you did uh, early in the year and, and what it was for. Yeah, unfortunately, since then a few other major events have mm-hmm. kind of overtaken us, haven't they, with COVID and so on, but. That was a really important thing for, I think, someone like me, an Australian living um, out here and so far from home, when we had so much direct contact with friends and families that had experienced directly what the Australian bushfires had had done in terms of devastation to, you know, property and land. And I grew up in the countryside, so I I was from a farming region. And I think I was about 10 or 11, but I'd experienced the Ash Wednesday bushfires. So they were pretty big bushfires that went through our region in, I think, 1983, something like that. So I had a vivid memory of what that experience was like. So for me, watching from the other side of the world what was happening with these recent fires kind of brought back a lot of, you know, those memories. And, you know, my job at that, at that age of 10 or 11 was to hose down the house. And we lived on the back of a state forest and... And the house was made from western red cedar. So mm-hmm. any minute it just would have gone up like a box of matches. You were able to save it okay? Yeah, we did actually. I remember vividly the, f- the fire turned on our property. Like literally had travelled hundreds of miles or kilometres. And then um, early or late evening had actually reached our, our farm. Uh, it sort of swept upon us and literally the wind, the wind changed and it went yeah. in another direction. Very lucky. So that memory, I think, um, made me and many of the other Aussies that I know in Basel, particularly, and, and people like Greg and, and others in places like Geneva, we all thought, what can we do? And music was a great way to kind of raise money and, and get some people together. So that's kind of where that idea came from. The real challenge was to figure out what are we raising money for? 
and and where does the money go so we tried to keep it as grassroots as possible and in the end we sent it down to australia and it was put through the red cross um, into the malakuta fire brigade so that was a country level fire station where we know the money was able to help purchase equipment and and stuff so it kind of felt like you know we're playing music with a real cause yeah and Um, it was an awesome awesome concert it was uh, it was awesome to be there i know that it's it's great to hear that the money went somewhere where it could be used uh, at a really local level yeah i think that's what people care about when they're making a donation to a charity especially when it's something that's so distant yeah Uh, you know like is this going to be um you know is it going to make any difference yeah so uh, i think that you guys did a great job and clearly made a difference in in that small in that small community i I remember you took home a a special memento from that i did if you still got him i of course yeah yeah, friends Friends. Uh, so um did you rename him no, no, you kept no, him no, friends. kept him as friends. Yeah. Yes, um, there was a uh, a, a koala. A koala, yeah. yes, very good <laughs> job, Gary. Been yeah. doing your Australian homework. Um, a koala bear, uh, like stuffed teddy, was auctioned off, and yeah. my daughter was with uh, me to come to the concert, and uh, she's eight, and she loves stuffed animals, and I knew as soon as we walked in that she was going to want that thing. Okay. But it also really meant a lot to me to be able to do something. That was awesome. You know, like yeah. um, big donation. Yeah, I um I was happy to to make a donation because I felt like yeah. I was helping. Yeah, and, oh, and 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 my daughter got something out of it. She was so happy. Well, it's probably the most expensive stuffed toy you've ever bought. ever. <laughs> yes, she keeps pointing yeah. at this huge one in Manor. It's a hundred oh. francs, and I'm like. Hundred that? francs. That's nothing. Do we even let her play with the uh, stuffed animal? Or it sits it, on her bed. Okay. It sits on her bed. She honestly, she loves her stuffed animals. So yeah. she she uh, she sings songs for for her uh, audience, Fantastic. which is her which are, is her animals, and and Franz is one of them. So pretty nice. There you go. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. No, honestly. So that is my introduction to you. I yeah. Uh, I think I was following you already on on Facebook oh, okay. uh, or, or Instagram, and yeah. um, and that maybe was how I saw it. I can't really remember Fantastic. now. But um, yeah. th- it was an awesome introduction to you and your music. But yeah. you did say that you came over for corporate. Yeah. You weren't. Uh, you didn't come over because you're singer songwriter. But yeah. that's that's what you do. So walk us through the process from going from pharmaceutical to okay we're now sitting in your studio with um i'm not sure how many guitars but quite a few yeah, don't put that in because then my wife has a number on it it's better it's better we keep just it two vague. just yeah, two yeah, yeah. She's exactly. not allowed down here. well she comes but there's so much stuff here now like one can slip in and you don't really see much difference anymore um yeah well, i had a bit of a journey like you know for a long time and even today it's difficult to call myself an artist because that's not what i've spent most of my life doing and, you know, an, an artist is someone in my definition who, you know, has an instrument in their hands from a very young age, is blood, blood, sweat and tears, doesn't make much money most of their life unless they get really lucky with music. Fortunately, I had a corporate career which, you know, allowed me to um, see the world and travel and obviously live the way I needed. Um, music was always part of what I did, but I never had, I guess, the courage or the confidence to even record um, or even think about writing my own stuff. I think like most people that own a guitar, I used to sort of sing stuff that I liked and try to emulate my Aussie heroes and other songs that I, you know, and, and learn other songs. And it really wasn't only, it was probably only about five or six years ago that I sort of, the guitar got, became really important to me. And I think it was towards the end of that transition from my corporate career. 
sort of pretty fed up with it. I think I was probably a bit burnt out. Um, today I talk about, you know, AI, what I look for in life, and people hear AI and go, if they're thinking corporate, they think, oh, cool, it's some digital buzz artificial intelligence and virtual reality and I kind of just get a bit tired of all that having come from advertising and and uh, communications but AI for me today is about authenticity and integrity and that's not a buzzword for me and when I realized how strong that value was for me I just felt the path I was taking in my corporate career didn't fit with that it's not to say it's not right because many people do it very well and many people do it with authenticity and integrity but there are many that don't and you have to learn to play the game or complain or get out um, and I'm not one to complain I'm not one to play the game so I decided to kind of make an escape and it was the best thing I ever did <laughs> how, how long have you been playing for <clears throat> I mean it sounds like it's a pretty recent thing but I have to imagine somebody with your skills has been playing most of your life. Oh, okay, so in terms of public and live performance, I've only been playing for two years. So I never sung outside of the bedroom. Um, so my first kind of live performances probably were only about two years ago. Um, so I would say before that, I played guitar for 10, 10 years, but not sort of anything meaningful. What was what was it like playing that first <coughs> live performance? The first live, like actually, to an audience of more than yourself. Yeah, I think. It was in Basel, actually. It was an open mic, and it was, I was petrified. You know, I've given lots of presentations to hundreds of people throughout my career in, in different settings, and never was sort of shy to kind of speak publicly, or particularly if I knew my stuff, and, you know, I was pretty prepared most of the time. But going onto a stage in, say, front of 50 or 100 people for the first time with a guitar strapped to you, no PowerPoint behind you, no nothing, no other props that you can lean on, it was, it was terrible. Did, did you sing originals? Or? Yeah, um, actually the song I've done for you, that I, that I will do for you this evening was I think In That Mix, but I, it was before I'd recorded the album, but I'd had most of the songs written and demoed, so I think I had to perform three songs and I chose all original material, and it was great, I felt like it was nerve wracking, but at the end of it I just thought this is what I want to do. And, um, got a bit more obsessive about it after that, that evening. And the transition from realising that you wanted to have that authenticity and integrity and mm. then um, make the decision to, to move away from the corporate world, mm. was it very fast or was it a long time coming? Look, I think it was gradual because I'd sort of moved from the pharmaceutical industry in sort of marketing and brand management roles then into the, the agency side of things. And I spent quite a number of years at a, a very large global um, communications agency, which was fantastic. There was some really, we did good work, had some great people. And then when I, then in Switzerland, I spent two, a couple of years with some smaller sort of family owned type agencies. And that was really shonky. Oh, really? And that was at the point where I thought, and I tried two of those. Like when you're working for an owner directly, it can go really well or it can just become a bit like a dysfunctional family. And I should I should probably um, colour my words a bit more, but for me it didn't work. I yeah. tried it out, but in the end I was a bit like, tried it twice, didn't work. Didn't dare to try it again. <laughs> and even the, the small shops, I'm surprised in Switzerland, I, I, I know all work in corporate environments is in English, yeah. but I'm surprised now to, I assume that these were 
in English, the, these smaller shops? Yeah, I think someone like me, I think one of them, Ooh. the last agency I worked at was a Swiss-owned sort of agency and they needed to kind of become a bit more international. They were sort of still working in the 80s in many <laughs> ways, including their their some of their language. Um, so that was it was a great asset and great time for me to come in and internationalise a bit the business and bring in some new models. And it, it worked really well. Um, but then there was just a point where you realise this is not where not you need you. to be. Yeah. And you've got to cut the cord. And sometimes it's not easy, it's not pleasant, um, particularly in small businesses like that. So unfortunately, the, the agency I left, it was a, it was bit of a hardcore departure but it was the right way it was the right thing to do and me. was it was there like a i'm leaving i'm i'm, I'm becoming a singer songwriter or it was like this is in the back of your mind that you're going to do that and yeah. like, how did that happen you're like i'm gonna i'm going to sing on stage screw no, you guys <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, it sounds a bit sort of south parkish doesn't it yeah it so sure good. does yes, I'm uh, out of here. <laughs> a cartman thing no i've never been that um definitive about myself and my direction you know I've been really lucky in life things happen and you get pulled towards things mm. and sometimes you got to listen to that and not resist it so I kind of just things happen one thing after the other but it wasn't like this is what I'm going to be get out of my way off I go I've yeah. just never lived like that yeah. and I just got to meet the right people in the right time so sh shortly before leaving my my corporate sort of career I met my producer through someone that worked at that agency so that was a great chance encounter because I would never meet a guy like that back in Australia, but he happened to be here living in Geneva. Um, so I kind of just fell upon it. I think what did happen, because it was a very stressful time for me, music was something I was leaning on a lot more. As very, it was sort of, it sounds a bit a bit cheesy, but it became very cathartic. Mm -hmm. And I was a bit in more of an insular phase of life, being sort of an extroverted person. I'd sort of realised that I'd done a bit of a circle and wasn't as extroverted as I really thought I was, but my job required me to be that. So I was really fortunate that I was able just to, re, re, um, what's the word? Retrieve? No. Re retreat? Re yeah, or sort of move back. Yeah. Retreat, right, retreat. Yeah. And get to know my music. Mm. And then out it came and it poured out. Were there were there people that were encouraging uh, all, that, that heard you? Were there people that heard your music along the way that were like, you, Carlisle, you have got to be a professional musician. You've got to get on stage. Yeah, probably not that in such strong words, but I had a lot of encouragement saying, you've got to, you've got to get out there and share your music, you know, and particularly my wife. But a lot of friends, when I sort of built up that courage, it was like people didn't know that side of me. So it was all, also a bit strange to sort of see me with a guitar or to hear me because people that didn't know that part of me saw me as a, a sportsman or a corporate guy didn't realize that creative part of me so it kind of slowly came out and then the the ground swell probably happened a bit slower than than you have described <laughs> what's what's the sports side what, what, are we, um, what are we missing here you can see behind you i was a bit of a crazy bike rider for about 15 years almost a elite amateur level so i did a lot of racing and had some good mates that are pro riders and all that stuff so when I backed off from the cycling, actually, music was... I had more time for music. You know, they're both crazy things to devote to. I was going to say, can you do music and cycling? I'm no. not sure. So I'm writing... You can write songs while you're riding. Yeah, but I've just got fatter, though. Like, I'm writing songs <laughs> and I've got fatter. I'm not, I'm not training like I used to. The, so. um, I can't even imagine. I can't even write up... Uh, 
up a hill, let alone like serious cycling. So oh, right. like it's a it's a dedication to cycle. It's not just like it is. A, I guess it can be like a hobby for a lot of people, but it it does take a lot of dedication as well, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think I was riding about twelve thousand kilometers a year for most years that I've been in Switzerland, and then probably about four or five years ago, I just didn't have time. Yeah. My daughter came along, the music kind of took over. But it's especially in country like Switzerland, I've seen some great parts of Switzerland from the bike. You know, I've done most of the big climbs in the area on the bike. You know, the system, I wonder if you were ever one of those people that when I was driving up a, <laughs> a big mountain somewhere that was like winding for miles mm. and miles on end and we passed the bike on the road. Did you beep? Uh, <laughs> I never beep, but I always <laughs> like, oh, what are they doing? Yeah. I would never be able to do that. Maybe you were one of those people. Quite possibly, yeah. <laughs> I saw a couple of years ago, uh, I was in uh, Malouse, oh. and they had uh, signs up for uh, the, um, uh, the Tour de France. Oh, uh, so it had passed by, it was like two years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah year. it's quite often there. Do you ever want to just jump in? <laughs> I, I, we're diverting, as you said earlier. I have a very funny story, which I'll quickly tell you. It's the living, I lived in Bern for the first 10 years, and um, I got to know Fabian Cancellata quite well. So Fabian was the world time, world time trial champion, Olympic medalist. And we became quite good mates. We'd ride quite a bit together more in the off season. So um, I had the same bike as him. I had his kit. It was a Team C, it's Team C, Team CSC, I think it was. We're talking like 2008 or 2009. And the Tour de Suisse had come through Bern. They were finishing in Bern that year. And that team, CSC, was Fabian was riding, and I had all the kit. And I remember I, I was there roadside watching the race go by, and I couldn't help myself, so I jumped on the road behind the peloton, like miles behind. In the, you know, I looked like from a distance, not close up, someone that got dropped from the peloton. And I had the police giving me a clear path through, and everyone signalling me, and people cheering me on, feeling sorry for this guy who was already a kilometre behind the pack. <laughs> But that was the only time I actually felt like, oh, that's what it must be like to be a professional rider. <laughs> Even coming from in the last, back. yeah. From nice the back. Experience. So I did actually jump in, but Excellent. wouldn't do it today. <laughs> You're a child now. Yeah, exactly. Responsible. Yeah. So tell us about the process of writing that first album. Um, where did the inspiration come from, and uh, and and how long was the process to to get that uh, to get it down and and make the decision to record it? Um, good question. So, I don't know, I don't know how other musicians do it, but it wasn't, again, it wasn't like my life's journey where it was a very deliberate path where I had to do this and needed to do that and navigated this and that in a strategic way. Things just happen. And I think for me, you, you write the first couple of songs that start to create a flavour for the material and you go, oh, okay, that sounds like a theme emerging. So I quickly realised that my, the theme that started emerging from my record, which is called Here Comes History, was pretty reflective, it was pretty self-indulgent stuff. It was all my stories, probably looking back versus looking forward. And then I kind of wrote this song called Here Comes History, which is one of the more rocky tracks on the album. I just have to tell you, uh, tonight, I was listening to your music uh, all day and at dinner time, I put that song on. Oh, okay. Because I love that song. Oh, thank you. And uh, my younger son, he's seven, he was sitting there in his chair and he was bobbing <laughs> to it. He loved it. Oh, thank he you very it. much. No, thank you. Oh, That's very awesome. good. So that album became not only the title of the record, but that really 
became the crystal clear story for me. So, you know, I'm, the record is a narrative for me and it was pretty much about my journey in life. Um, I was adopted as a kid, didn't have the best um, family environment growing up, but always was a positive person. And I've always had this belief that, you know, life kind of doesn't just happen to you and history isn't something that you look back on and you weren't part of it. You can actually direct all that. So my idea of Here Comes History being, you know, it's something you're, you're part of and I'm going to shape it. And so that song kind of took the rest of the record in that reflective kind of optimistic um, direction. So a bit of whinging and moaning, but with an optimistic <laughs> twist. It's <laughs> a great tune. It. Oh, thank you. Um, so that, that was really the flavour of the first record. It took about a year to write. So some songs come really easily for me. Um, maybe more the lyrics and the story within it. I, I needed a bit of help often with getting the progressions right and having a producer like Greg who's so experienced and you know has, has played in top bands and is in a top band. They bring another angle to it once you get it into the studio. You know, they bring in guitar riffs and keys and stuff that you don't even, I don't even hear. But he heard a lot of that stuff just from my basic acoustic demos. Do, do you always write your lyrics first or do sometimes the tune comes to you? Uh, it's really different. I've just written a new song recently called, uh, I released it actually. So it's the first single off the next record, which hasn't been released called Colour of Your Dreams and that was based on a true story that I'd read about in the Melbourne Age um, which we can talk about later but it was a, a story of um, forbidden love within a, an Aboriginal community and this young couple had gone missing and um, this is 20 years ago and because they were a young Aboriginal couple in the middle of Australia there wasn't a lot of concern or regard about the fact that they'd gone missing it was just another disappearance of people in Central Australia so that sort of story really bothered me and the, the Melbourne Age turned it into a podcast and there was an investigative journalist who actually went back into this community to dig, dig around to find out what went on. So the, and the short story was that they were murdered. The two different Aboriginal groups, I didn't realise this, but they have tribal rules of who can be together and who can't be. And this young couple had fallen in love and they were forbidden based on their tribal beliefs. But this investigative journalist uncovered that they were murdered and they found DNA connected to a motor vehicle that was owned by the, one of the head of the Australian Aboriginal Land Commission, so like a, a leading politician. Wow. And the story is still being investigated, but essentially it looks like they were murdered in exchange for mining rights. Oh, wow. So I read that and it stayed with me for so long and to answer the question of how do I form a song, I, this lyric, this song, this line in my head of colour of your dreams, I've seen the colour of your dreams, mm -hmm. was, it stayed in my head. And I wrote the song around that story and was able to bring in that line, you know, rather than talking about coloured skin or indigenous issues that I'm not, you know, I'm not sensitive enough to really do justice to. Mm -hmm. Colour of your dreams seemed to be the most appropriate way I could make reference to in, an indigenous story. So I started with a line in that example. Mm. And then because it was a story, I was, I'd was i researched the, the investigation and was able to weave a story around some of the facts mm. and my imagination of those characters. Mm -hmm. um, but every time it's different. Like it's just stuff that you wake up with at night or stuff that you can't go to sleep 
on because it's in your head and do you ever have an idea while you're sleeping you wake up and write it down and then you wake up in the morning you're like uh, either you can't uh, understand what it is or I'd like to record myself at night time because often I'll hear a tune and I need to hum it but I'd wake up my wife and I'd be <laughs> yeah. in lots of trouble but um the worst bit for me is when I've started something and I'm stuck on lyrics and I keep waking up during the night and I know that I won't remember it by the morning. So I get up, come down here, write it somewhere. And then I get up the next morning and I can't read what I wrote. Because <laughs> you've got to decipher that was, it. That was, exactly. that was a Seinfeld episode. Oh, was it? Of, yes. Right. But I, that's a bit I love. Like I love, I really try, I want, I'm not the greatest guitarist on the planet. I'm certainly not the greatest singer, but I, I like to be able to weave a story into the stuff. And I think the first record was they were pretty much my stories. The second record now is really talking about other people's stories. It you you um it sounds like that you might be influenced a lot by things back home and mm. um and and Australian music and and um, Australian things that are, that are still happening um, there, which to me is not odd. It's mm. that a lot of people here, especially who have been here for as long as you have. Um, almost put that side of them bes- behind them, right. and it sounds like that you still take a lot of inspiration from where you came from and the, and the life uh, that you had there. Would you say that that uh, Australia still holds a, a strong uh, influence on on you and your music? Yeah, it's a really it's an insightful um, question actually because I think you're right. I think when I lived in Australia, I didn't feel particularly Australian right. or even very patriotic. Mm. The longer I'm out of my country, the more proud I am of the country, and I'm and I'm even more interested in what goes on there, which is odd. That don't, must be a nice don't ask to me be why. proud of the country you come from. <laughs> <laughs> you will be in by November. Yeah. You will be again. Yeah. We'll see. Um, but I read a really one of my favorite Aussie uh, authors is Tim Winton, and Tim Winton's really amazing. He he writes in a very Aussie colloquial way, but in a really intelligent manner. And I saw a really nice interview with him. And, you know, he's a guy that's also lived overseas for numerous years on and off before going back to Western Australia. And he, he wrote, he said something once that for him, Australia is like this big magnet, magnetic island. And the longer he's lived out of the country, it just pulls at him even more. And I, I feel that. I really understand it. Because the longer I'm out of it, that, mag, that mag, magnetic pull, Sometimes it's painful. Yeah. It's funny that you say that because I don't know if it's got anything to do with us being Australian and being so far away, but I have that sometimes as well. And I have no idea why. I'll be like, why do I feel like this? Why do I have this like almost like a desire to return or you have some sort of connection, but I don't know where it comes from. Yeah. Do you have that in the US as well? (laughs) maybe it's an Aussie thing yeah because I I would have thought maybe it's something because you know one's feeling lonely or but I don't sense that I'm feeling like I really like living here and and wouldn't fit into Australia right yeah especially after so long yeah you 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 have a a different style of living yeah uh, when you feel like a visitor when you go back like tourists mm. it's a it's an odd it's an odd feeling. And yet your mates aren't speaking the way that they used to or you just don't get it anymore. But... Yeah, exactly. Is that something that you and your wife had to talk about, whether Switzerland is your permanent home or whether there's like a chance that you'll you'll return to Australia? Yeah, it's not something we talk about. I think it's just a given that, you know, my now having my daughter here and my wife is Swiss, it's, 
it's part of the deal, you know, like you can't just get up and expect to move at, move on. And I've never had the desire to. Um, again, I, I think those early years of being in Switzerland where it was easy for me to kind of assimilate and, and find my groove. Um, I didn't do it with one foot in, one foot out. You know, I'd sold a house in inner city Melbourne, bought a house here in the first few years. So it was pretty much a permanent thing for me. Have you integrated yourself with Swiss musicians here to not, play with them? Not really. No, I'm sort of I sort of do my stuff alone a bit in a way, and that's sort of typical of a singer songwriter. And you know, my music's not for everybody, um, including an, a, the listening audience as well as a playing. But so you've got to find the right um, niche if you like. So I sort of don't seek to probably play with other musicians. Or... Who are your influences? As a singer-songwriter, and a, and a name, Carlisle Christofferson, that just smacks of... Yeah, how you didn't become, is, uh, yeah. right. become a um, musician from the very beginning, yes. no one knows. Yeah, Greg Greg has made lots of jokes about that, because so Greg's name is Greg Arnold, which I think is a fabulous name. But he's like, I think I got the wrong name here, you know, Carlisle Christofferson. And I'm like, okay, I don't know how to respond to it, but it's kind of cute. But, um, but your, your stuff is, I, I don't want to say it sounds like... But the whole singer-songwriter thing reminds me of James Taylor. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, what's his name running on empty? Jackson Brown. Fantastic. Yeah, spot on. Yeah, so they're probably the more known artists that I really aspire to. But there's even stuff that I listened to growing up as a kid that from my mother's stuff that I hated as a 10-year-old, like John Denver. And, my, uh, my wife loves John but Denver. But you know, some of that, it creeps back into your fingers. And it's it, great music. And it comes out. It's and then awesome music. On the other side, I was listening to things like Cretans, Clearwater, obviously oh, the Beatles. Um, but I think my, my favourite Aussie artists of current time, which I really take a lot of reference to, maybe our listeners don't know all these people, but people like Paul Kelly, um, Bernard Fanning from Powderfinger. Paul, Paul Kelly did Paul Kelly? the, the um, something things, the... He had a great song back in the 80s, The D- Dumb Things. I've done right? all the dumb things. Oh, ah, how such a that? great song. Did that make it I'm to old. the US? Yes. Well, and... I made it to my uh, stereo. Oh, awesome. <laughs> he's amazing. Like yeah. he's, he's almost a poet. Yeah. Uh, again, people don't think he's got the greatest voice in the world. I think it's like an angel. Well, look, Bob but... Dylan does not have the greatest yeah. voice in the world. Yeah. Many artists don't have the greatest voice, but you have a voice. And Paul Kelly's in that different. Yes. Dylan totally. genre. Yeah. So he's really important for me, and I, I love a lot of his stuff. Um, Bernard Fanning is someone really important for, for my as, uh, inspiration. He's got a very smoky tone to his voice. It's really Australian in, in sound. We come back to the Aussie thing. Um, and Paul Dempsey, we talked about something for Kate earlier. So there's heaps of Aussie artists that I just, it's not just because I'm Australian, it's really just what's in my DNA. It's mm. the music I gravitate to. And Greg and I have talked a lot about this and I, I, I keep teasing him with the idea of doing a PhD in it. And yeah. he, he's an academic, so he, he's already signed up to be a potential professor for it. But the, the academic question I'd love to ask myself is what makes Australian music sound Australian? Because we both believe it's beyond words and language. There's something else. There's a there's a nuance in it. Well, actually, you said something, and um, I'm not going to pretend that I know what I'm talking about <laughs> at all. But you did say something about telling a story. Yeah. And I think a lot of artists enjoy uh, Australian artists um, in, do very well telling stories. And yeah. I think maybe that has something to do with it. Like there is a lot of, especially those ones that you mentioned, plus a lot of others, you yeah. know, artists from the 60s and yeah. 
um, that are very Australian sounding. I have who... to give a shout out to Split Ends. <laughs> Fantastic, um, great shout out. Like yeah. um, that that tell that tell stories when yeah. when they're singing that. Um, not not that American pop music didn't do that yeah, necessarily, yeah. but but I for me I always knew uh, when I was growing up because my parents listened to a lot of Australian music. I always knew that something was an Australian song or artist okay. because of the way they sang sang a song about a story. Love it. Yeah. yeah, that's just I mean that's just an, an observation. And when you I said, think you're right. And when you said about how you telling a story, whether yeah. it's about yourself. In, in your history or yeah. from you know from current events that are happening around the world yeah. that it's about those telling the story yeah and I think that's when you get into that narrative style of songwriting there's certain words that just play to you and they're very they're more singable than other words and a lot of those t- tend to be very for me it was very Aussie mm. words that I grew up with you know or phrases you know let me think of an example in a recent track like something like In Colour of Your Dreams there's a line of you know, saw the writing on the wall. Like, you wouldn't speak like that in Basel City. You know, the writing's on the wall, guy, you're in trouble. <laughs> but yeah. in Australian kind of tech in context, it feels like a very common thing you might actually say. Yeah, like you would actually hear someone say that out loud. Right. Like, And stuff like that just creeps back in. It's inside you and it creeps out when you're songwriting. So mm. I've got to watch because there are certain phrases I keep going to or keywords I'm like, mm, is that before? <laughs> can't, can't use that one again. You go through the Australian uh, terminology dictionary. Just got to right. hang out with more Aussies and, and get the Aussie slang going. Exactly. But I think back to the the purpose of music. For me, it, you know, it's not about noise making or being the centre of something. It's trying to communicate something that might create an emotion in somebody else. And sort of candy pop doesn't really do that for me. Whereas maybe a narrative or someone else's story or a reflection on something a bit emotional, you might get two people in the audience that you just see their eyes are changing in the light because they've, they've, they've jumped onto something. And that for me is what it's all about. It's not having 2,000 streams a day in Spotify. It'd be nice, yeah. but it's not going to happen. Connection. But You're looking for connection. It's about connection. Good. That's exactly it, connection. And did you know that when you were started performing a couple of years ago, like that that's, you know, what you were looking for? Or did you see that kind of sparkle in someone's eye and went, hey, wait, that's why I'm doing this? I think that came, I think that's what happened. You, you know, you sort of felt like you're onto something. When you're writing something, you feel like you're onto it. And it's a bit, it's very egocentric, but you need to feel like you, you, you're breaking new ground, otherwise you wouldn't keep getting up at 3 a.m. in the morning to nothing. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're onto something. And then it validates itself when you perform it for someone and they might cry or they might um, be lost in a moment and can't communicate back to you because it's taken them something. tears in the audience? Oh, that would sound a bit pompous if I said yes. Um, I wouldn't say in an audience, but in people. Yeah. And it's actually, it's made me cry. Yeah. I, many times um, I've lost myself. Well, music can have such an, an emotional effect on, on people. And I actually read something recently that I thought everybody had. You know, uh, well, 
let's find out. <laughs> there is the uh, a reaction that you can have when you listen to music where it causes goosebumps and, and it causes the hair to stand on and apparently only 50% of people have that. Really? Yeah, and it has an actual name. It starts with B. I can't remember the name. Um, but not everybody feels that and people can feel it to a, to a certain degree. So people can feel it visually. Okay. Um, but most, uh, most common is when people hear music. Is it a vasovagal reaction? Yeah, something familiar? like that. Yeah. I think there's yeah, a yeah. Neuro, neurosympathetic response. I'm sounding like I know what I'm talking about now. Uh, I'm, going back to, I'm going back to university days, but I think there might be a vasovagal reaction. That might have been it. I saw it a long word and I, uh, Someone, I skipped over it. The medical sort of incline listening to this are going to hammer you with messages and yeah. posts going, oh, he's wrong, it's on vasovagal. Oh, well. There I is mean, something going on. Swiss Pats isn't all about the facts. We're about the stories <laughs> and the connection. We're not about the facts here. There's hashtag yeah. Susie Facts. Is, uh, <laughs> it comes up quite a bit but yeah. um but it can have it it can hit hard on people the right music yeah you know that's a bit the pity today you know music's become a very it's like fast food it's it's really it's a high consumable highly consumable item particularly now when music's so freely and readily available you know like i heard bernard fanning talk the other day and he was saying you know remember the days we grew up and you'd save money to yeah. buy a record yeah and I, I i still remember running to a store to get an rem album i think it was out of time and i ran like two kilometers down to jb hi-fi i think it was in camberwell because uh, i lived on Mont- i don't know if you knew melbourne well but there was a road called montalbert road and it was a long stretch of road and it was literally just a straight run <laughs> and i ran my guts out down to get this out of time record now, now you're talking about one of my all-time favorite bands they're one of my big influences in, in college i just yeah, have to tell Michael this Stark. in, uh, in, in 19, 1983 um, I was going, I was at a, the college, uh, small college town music store, and I was going through the albums, so I was looking for my, before it was called Alternative Music, yeah. and I saw this record, and I turned it over, I'm like, oh, these guys look, they look pretty cool. It was uh, R.E.M. Chronic Town. They're, oh, wow. It was their EP, it was, uh, and it was... You still have it? It blew, oh, uh, yes, I Be do. Be worth a fortune. It, yes, it <laughs> I don't know about that, but it's 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 worth its weight in uh, mm. in, in music. Does so, that make sense? It's it's awesome. I was in Athens, Georgia, in 1993 in Hunt for Michael Stipe. Really? I'm such an R.E.M. <laughs> fan. Wow. It was the time they'd released uh, Automatic for the People, I think. And I don't know if you know, we're, we're diverting again. Yes. But the album's called Automatic for the yeah, People, yeah. named after. Um, I think some dodgy local chicken fried yeah, chicken yeah, shop. I know the story and the story was that the guy serving, whenever you'd make a serving, rather than saying, "Yep, got your order," he'd go, "Yep, automatic." Uh, and they got, apparently got the name. So okay. I even went to that place just to kind of get closer to the. Oh, so I was cool. like, I was like twenty and just so into. That's the sort of thing that I would do. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, well, I've got to go to this place because they they got inspiration from here or something like but you that. probably didn't have the dumb belief that michael stipe was going to walk in any moment while you're eating oh your chicken yeah, yeah. Right. I've had, okay. uh, i, I had mean i one. walked around dublin um this was very recently as well so this just shows you i walked around dublin thinking i'd run into jeff tweedy because i was waiting oh, really? to, see, to see him play and i was like <laughs> okay i mean i might just run into him and yeah, then like we'll go and here. we'll go and like hang out and it'll be great like yeah. i was i was convinced of yeah. course it didn't happen it must be an australian thing I, yeah maybe and just think in a couple of years, some people are going to be planting themselves in front of Carlisle Christopherson's <laughs> house, saying maybe they'll uh, just come outside. Maybe. Not sure about that. In my wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they're really good questions that you ask about the whole thing about music. I think singer songwriters. I think you, 
it's not what you kind of see all the time. There's a very timid, humble, shy thing, but you've got to turn on that performance character. It was easier for me to do that because of all my corporate stuff, but I realised in myself that that's not my natural behaviour. So now to go back out to a public setting as a performer with a, with a guitar in hand, it's a different level of energy that allows you to turn that dial on to then do it with confidence because it's yeah it's a lot on the line you know from the moment you open your mouth so but it's fun it's just such a wonderful experience have you had any um performances where you've thought i'm never doing this again oh probably most of them i think that no in the first 20 minutes i did a radio interview a while ago and um a live performance and i i lost my plectrum and i couldn't really finger pick the song and it needed something just to give a bit of weight on the strings and I was freaking out and ended up finding like a Coke uh-huh. thing, Bottle cap. which is too hard and it sounded really metal-like. Um, but that was a bit of a disaster. It, it, it actually recorded okay, but I thought to myself, I'm not doing this again. But um, I think I've done one since. <laughs> well, you're doing so. one for us. So. Yeah, right. <laughs> we, we're, luckily, we're in your home studio, so you'll, you'll be able to find a pick, no problem. Okay. I think I've, I've got most of the things. Unless your I daughter need. is hidden in them. Oh, Which she does. Or hopefully yeah. not try to eat them. Yeah, yeah. No, fantastic. It would be a pleasure. Excellent. So before we uh, get to the song that you're going to perform for us, you don't just do music. You, right. you gave up the corporate world. <laughs> you started um, your own music and you've released one album and you've got another one on the way. Is that right? Yeah, yeah hopefully might even be by Christmas. Awesome. Album. Yep. Yeah, so you've got a single out from that album already. Yep, maybe in a couple of demos, ready to go. So they'll trickle. I think that album will trickle through to the end of the year. Um, again, with Spotify, we talked before about modern music. Days of records are over kind of thing. Yeah. So you can just trickle out singles. So that's probably what I'll do on this second time versus waiting and putting everything onto a single release, which is what I did. So I think it'd be nice to have a, a new song out there every couple of months. So um, what is the the other thing you spend your days doing? The other thing, well, this is totally not glamorous and it doesn't even require a lot of practice or determination or patience, but I also enjoy it. Um, The private side of me is I'm a bit of a clean freak, like obsessive, compulsive clean freak. And we, we had this winter garden here, which is all in glass, and it looked fantastic for like the first two minutes that it was installed. (laughs) And then after that, you could just never clean it. And I thought there must be a better way to clean extra large panels of glass. And I kind of stumbled upon this whole thing of ionic pure water. So it's basically using, it's stripping out all the natural minerals from water, all the dissolved solvents like calcium, potassium and stuff. And when you get water that has a a TDS, a total dissolved solvent of zero, it's perfect for cleaning glass. And in fact, it's what a lot of car washers use. Mm. So that's why you can wash cars with their water and it doesn't leave white spots. That's why. underneath yeah, those car washes, they have massive tanks. The things you learn. <laughs> yeah. So I found um, a portable version of this technology and I've been really busy cleaning people's glass houses and extra, extra large kind of glass um, windows. This is awesome to hear because I and have I large it. windows Do you? There you <laughs> and go. I need them cleaned. Done. I'll be there. I can't come tomorrow. I've got a couple of jobs this week. But we'll organise something. And have you been doing that for long? I started it in November and got really busy until COVID came along. And then I stopped in March 
and since um, May when I restarted, I've been flat out. And that's it's like it's just mindless entertainment. You get this fantastic result. People are so just grateful that they've finally been able to clean a three hundred square glass cube in a way that looks like crystal. And I love it because it's a great technology. It's got a gadget that's involved with this machine. <laughs> it's all self-drying as well, so you don't have to kind of get up there and do the work of, you know, with cloths in your pocket and stuff. So it's kind of an elegant way to, to clean glass. And I've got some really lovely customers. So. And it sounded like I, you told us earlier you have a rather interesting uh, exchange uh, for cleaning uh, coming yeah. up shortly. That's right. Can I mention it? Sure. Yeah. So um, that was that's the beauty of being independent and not working for crazy bosses or crazy companies. You make your own decisions, and um, that includes how much you pay or how much you're willing to take or give for a job. So I met this fantastic guy the other day who had a room full of guitars, and I've been looking for for the music lovers that might be listening. The, the Gibson ES three three five is the holy grail of a certain type of hollow body guitar. This guy had a black one hanging in his room that he was happy to kind of do a trade on. So actually that's where I am tomorrow. I'm doing his um, 100 square meter glass house in exchange for some payment and uh, the guitar. Fantastic. So and we expect to hear that guitar on the next song. There you go. <laughs> and I hope I can play it as, as well as he can. He's quite a musician. So there you go. Should so be good. That um, it sounds like it keeps you busy, and it sounds like actually that you enjoy it, considering you said you're a you're an freak. So yeah, it's really good, and it's such a simple thing, you know. Like people, it's amazing what makes people happy. But yeah, you, you go I, in there and do stuff like that, and I know, can imagine because my windows are so filthy, yeah. and I have tried to wash them, and it's it doesn't exactly work, what right? You say. And I thought when I washed because like you know these are these old windows, you have to like unscrew them, and they come into the house. I thought, oh, I'm doing such a great job. And I put them back, and it was That's like nothing depressing, happened. Huh? And yeah. I was like, I'm never doing that again. Yeah. Until I, until I get you. Yeah. 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 No, we'll organize something. But what's really sad in a way, like I remember, you know, you'd, you'd spend 60 hours writing a strategic plan for a client or a messaging workshop and all these outputs of positioning and a message framework and all that groovy stuff. And you'd never hear a client go, wow. Yeah. It's the best thing I've ever seen. You'd either hear nothing yeah. or you'd hear something when someone else didn't like it. Mm -hmm. um, I do a job like this and I've got people going, oh my God, it's incredible, offering me beer, offering me <laughs> tips and wanting to see me three times a year. And I'm like, okay, this is what it's all about. Yeah. You know, and it's just about feeling appreciated for what you do. It sounds like it even so it's great. Even well, that um, gives you that connection that you're you're looking so, for. So you're, just that's right, and it, and it gives it to you in in your everyday job as well. Exactly. You're making even these clients cry. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but, looking through their crystal windows. But I promise not to write songs about the uh, clients? cleaning windows. All right, <laughs> I'm not going to do know. that. Hey, I don't know. I can't think of any window cleaning songs. They, you know, someone told me there was actually. We talked about this at a dinner the other night with someone. And I'll send it to you because I forgot what it yeah. was, but it was like a really clear couple of lines. It was actually a bit crazy. It was talking about a guy looking through windows as he's cleaning them and what, cleaning. and what he finds. There you go. Sounds like a peeping Tom. I don't yeah, know. Was it, it was a bit creepy, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, who, who told me? Yeah. Someone played it for us. 
Yeah, there is a song. It was from the sixties. We'll have to we'll have to look into yeah. that. Might be the outro for this recording. There were, exactly. there were a lot of creepy time. songs in the sixties. Yeah, <laughs> and only now we realise just how. You'll agree that this, you'll call me when you hear it, and you'll go, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a bit creepy. <laughs> So. All right, so I suggest you write a, a window cleaning song that isn't creepy. <laughs> that, that's yeah. your, your challenge. Can't promise that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Carla, let uh, people know where they can find your music. Sure. So my um, debut album is Here Comes History. It's available everywhere. It's Spotify, iTunes, all the usual platforms. There's a couple of clips on YouTube. The first single from the album is Follow Me, which I was fortunate enough to have commercial radio play in Australia and Switzerland. So I kind of felt the need to do a proper video clip for that song. So I've, it's, I've pretended to be like a rock star and I appear in it, but only in a few spots. That's got, I think it's up to about a couple of thousand views in YouTube, which is kind of nice. So that's available and there's a few acoustic performances um, on my YouTube channel. Um, I also do the old fashioned thing of CDs. I still think an audio quality of a CD is really valuable and there's a small book with lyrics and stuff. So if any of your listeners would like um, a copy, I'd be willing to do something special for Swiss Pat listeners. Awesome. Maybe it's a 50% promotional code or something. So if anyone wants to contact you, excellent. Um, I'd love to offer some CDs to your audience. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Excellent. So thank you so much. What are you going to sing for us? So this song is, I think, track number three on the record. It's called Eventually. Um, the short story behind this one, it involves an Australian as well, which is weird. Um, I had a very good friend come and visit me a couple of years ago in, uh, what's about two years ago uh, in Australia, uh, an Australian guy whose uh, parents are Jewish. So he was a, a very dear friend of mine. And we both went to Berlin together because he wanted to visit some of the, the, um, the concert, the work camps from the, uh, second world war, German second world war. And we both went and visited uh, a place called Sachsenhausen just out of Berlin and it was a devastating experience it was particularly for me being with my friend John mm-hmm. whose who's both parents had survived the Holocaust his parents hadn't actually been in this particular camp but it just was really really gripping and to see his emotion as well who was who had who dealt with it directly through his family so I left um a wonderful few days with one of my good friends but this experience really knocked me out and I didn't know how to kind of put it together and I came up with this whole concept of despite that being such a terrible thing that had happened to so many people eventually my belief is that people kind of get their shit together and hopefully we look back and we look forward and don't repeat some of that stuff so this song is titled eventually and it's really about um, hoping that we all reach our potential and don't do shit like that again (laughs) So if you now know that story, you might hear some poignant um, lines in in the song. So it's called Eventually, and I think it's track track three. Excellent. Let's get to it. Thank you, Carlisle. Great. Thanks Thanks for having me on.
Future.